This is tape number 10 of the series, The Destination of Faith, Heaven by Dr. Joel Hunter. The subject of this message is, Our Relationship with God in Heaven. Dr. Hunter's scripture text is from 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. And from the New International Version, it reads as follows. See how great a love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called children of God, and such we are. For this reason the world does not know us, because it did not know Him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet that we shall be. We know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, because we shall see Him just as He is. And now, let's join in for praise and worship, followed by message number 10, Our Relationship with God in Heaven, in this series, The Destination of Faith, Heaven. Well, let's pray together. God, before we uh, enter into a longer time of worship, we just want to thank you for calling us here this morning. We know we're here because your Spirit has drawn us. We know that you have chosen us to worship you this morning. And we just thank you from the very beginning for that. Father, give us this time of learning from your Word so that when we worship you, we might worship you in spirit and in truth. We might worship you with accuracy. We might know the reasons why we are worshiping you and the results from worshiping you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your scriptures with you, if you would turn to the uh, third chapter of 1 John. As it says at the top of your sermon outlines, uh, this week we're going to talk about our relationship with God in heaven. You know uh, from reading Scripture, if you read Scripture, that the primary characteristic of our relationship with God will be that of worship. That is the chief activity of heaven. However, we have not been taught all there is to be taught about worship. Our primary idea of worship is, it is, you know, focusing on an object, i.e. Christ, and bridging that subject-object gap. And if we can do that... Uh, then we are worshiping. I want to give you a little fuller definition this morning. Because worship is not just a subject-object relationship. Worship is breaking down barriers so that the subject turns into the object a little bit more. And so those who worship God together would be more linked to each other. So that worship becomes all of life, and not just an activity that you do periodically. Now, for that to happen, we must be transformed. And curiously enough, that is not only the reason we worship, that is the result of worship. Transformation is the result of our focusing on God. Now, if you will read with me uh, the first couple of verses in 1 John chapter 3. The first word is see. In King James, it's behold. In some of the other versions, it's behold. I like that word because it gets a hold of you and says, look, pay attention to this. This It's very important here. Focus. Watch this. See how great a love the Father has bestowed upon us. Now, the word for how great, in some of your versions, it is uh, what manner of love uh, or what kind of love. The Greek word is just one Greek word here, uh, potapane, and it means um, 
the etymology of the word is very, very interesting. In its original form, it meant from what country? In other words, this is so different, it seems foreign to you. This is so strange to you, it's going to seem like it came from another place. From what country did this love come? From what very distant, um, different place? And the country, of course, is heaven. And it comes to us, and it has a very distinct effect on us. See how great, from what country... This different love from the Father has bestowed upon us. By the way, this, that word Father is very important here. Very important. This is such a distinctly different love than you've ever heard about before. Um, Maltby said at one time, you know, when Jesus came, he had to bring to us a different language of our relationship with God, a new name for God. And he said, curiously enough, it did not come from the courts or from majestic halls. The word that he brought is something that the world had not known before. The word that he brought was something so different from the Western religions that we know of, something so different from the Eastern religions that we know of. Because in there, there is such a distant or such a nebulous connection with God. I had a rabbi come and teach my class this week in a seminary because these guys are going to, in, in three months, these guys are all going to be out in churches. And I, and I, don't want them to, I want them to be familiar with the other religious leaders in town and not look at Jewish people like they're strange. They're our cousins. Judaism is our mother religion. So a friend of mine who's a rabbi, uh, Merrill Shapiro, came and taught the class. And I noted as he was, as he was teaching, you know, uh, how... High and holy, they esteem God to be so high that you can't even pronounce his name. How different the name then that Jesus brought us. The name Daddy. Abba. How different. Behold how great a love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called children of God. Now, this is not children, as many people think children. This is not children in the pagan sense. Oh, we're all children of God. Now, that's not the biblical sense. We're all created from God. We're all made in an image of God, resident in us. But we are not children until we're adopted into his personal family, until we are called and we have Christ bring us into that relationship, that we should be called children of God, and such we are. For this reason, the world does not know us because it did not know Him. So, let me tell you what's happening here. When you give your life to Christ as your Savior and Lord, something absolutely distinct and different happens to you, and it's not mainly intellectual. There is a spiritual rebirth. You've all heard the term born again. But somehow that's become a little Baptist catchphrase or something. We don't, we don't fathom what that means. No, you have been born to an entirely new life when you give your life to Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, If any man be in Christ, 
He is a new creature. The old has passed away and the new has come. If you have accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, you've given your life to Him, you have a totally new life. One from a far country that you didn't have before. It says in Galatians 2.20, So that it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. It says in Second um, Peter chapter 1, verse 4, that we might become partakers of the divine natures. So do you understand what we're talking about here? You are born an entirely new person. You have an entirely new life when that moment takes place. Now watch this. What doesn't become clear until later on is that you are very different from the world. As you grow in Christ, the world will seem very strange to you. Not always bad strange, just odd. And you will seem odd to it. Now, you don't try to be odd. We're, we're odd enough when we begin, just because our personalities, a lot of us, are odd. You don't try to be odd. This isn't odd that way. This is, a, this is being residents of a different country. And as we focus on Christ, as we see Him, then what happens with us is something that we don't always realize until we start meeting up with the world again and see what a difference there is. My wife Becky went uh, shopping Wednesday night and uh, we were making a little transition in our life, so she went shopping for some furniture and, and met up with this girl. And, and uh, <clears throat> she just asked the girl, well, how's it going? I you know, just wanted to make contact here. And, and, the, and the, the girl was uh, uh, helping her with the furniture and so forth. How's it going? You know? And the girl just started... You know, for some reason, you know, well, I know why. God just prompted it. You know, the girl just starts pouring out her life, you know. Standing there and she's, oh, well, you know, I'm really frustrated right now because my husband and guy got married. And, and I thought it would be just us, but we're living with eight of his family in an apartment. This is really tough, you know. And I get so discouraged and sometimes I think stuff I don't want to think. And, and Beck says, oh, you know, she gets all, Beck was all excited. She said, oh, don't get discouraged. Look, look. Listen, you've got to just concentrate on your husband. Maybe you could take a little thing to the beach every once in a while, but don't get discouraged. It'll be okay. Uh, you, you just got to hang in there. She said, Beck starts to say, do you have a church home? And, and the girl says, well, no. Uh, it work, it kind of weird like that. And Beck says, well, what do you mean? She says, well, he's Baptist. I'm Jewish. Beck says, hey, i got just a place for you. <laughs> so i got just a place for you. This is great. Come, you know, you gotta get, gotta get a hold of something bigger than what's in the apartment, you know? So you can kind of transcend. Come on, feel the love of God. You know, don't get discouraged. You call me, I'll call you. Don't, you know, don't just cash in the chips here. It's gonna be alright. Well, she went from that conversation to the, to the store. She's going down the store aisle. You know, later on, I, I saw her, she just came in beaming. I said, what's up? She said, oh, I had the greatest night of my life. And so this is the story she's telling. I'm going, so she's going down the store and there's a woman and her daughter and she's, and the woman's uh, looking at some uh, uh, sparkly stuff or something, uh, drink, some kind of drink. And Beck just stops and says, is that good? Now, this is weird to me. This is, first of all, let me do a little parenthetical thing here. It's weird for a man to ever think of stopping and talking to a stranger anywhere. <laughs> it is. Men would never stop in a store and say, how do you like that? You know? Men don't. Women talk with each other. Men, women talk in the restroom. Men would never talk in the restroom. <laughs> never do that. Women say stuff like, oh, I like your shoes, you know? <laughs> Guys would never do that. That's like, that's like, you know, so it's just weird for me to even hear about somebody just stopping and talking with somebody. 
And so all the woman says, yeah, this is great. I really, you'll love this stuff. Max says, well, how's your life going? I just, oh, it's just poor, you know. I, they, she says, you know, my husband left and it's just us two, but we're going to get to it. Beck says, you sure will? This is going to be good. She says, do you have a church home? <laughs> woman says, well, no, we were thinking about looking for one. She says, I got just the place for you. And so, you know, they're going there talking all the way up to the cashier, you know. And, 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 and the, the girl that's taking out the, the groceries is an uh, oriental girl. And, and on the way out, back, and she, she had overheard this whole thing. On the way out, she says, maybe I come to your church too. Yeah, come on, come on. This is great. You know? Of course, later on, Beck says, You know, Hunter, that I, I think I found my field of evangelism. I just got to go shopping more often. <laughs> but here's the, th- here's the thing. She was so excited because there's a whole world out there that lives without hope. I mean, without anything other than just how well they can cope with the problems they don't know the resources they have. This is the very thing they need. Can you imagine going through life's problems without Christ? Can you imagine that? Can you imagine living through all of that and having just the mentality of I've got to get through this problem every day? This is, we've got that. See, the world is so different and you forget that. When you're just among Christian people and you have that hope automatically, you know God's sovereign. You know He can be trusted. You know that faith. It's just different. And it's so exciting to go out there and go, Wow, we must seem very weird to you. Now, why have I got this silly grin on my face? Well, let me tell you about it. You know, it's just strange. We're, we're making a... a, a, a we, there was another example of this. We're, we got two kids in college, uh, going to college this year, and so we're making a transition for various reasons. To uh, we uh, sold our house and are going to move into an apartment. We're downsizing here, and uh, you think you'd think that this is a fairly simple process, you know? You get a contractor on your house, you go to the apartment complex, you hold, you hand them the money, and they say, "Here's where you go." Those of you who live in an apartment, uh, you know, this is new to us. This won't be new to you. They sit you down and give you the apartment lecture. Now, this is, this is weird to us. There's this lady who sits down. We just went through this. Who sat down with us, and there's a stack of papers like that much you've got to sign. You know, and you're thinking, what's the deal here? You know, give us a little agreement. We'll sign it. There's a stack. She says, now, do you realize, and she's talking slow, like we're not going to get it the first time around, you know. <laughs> do you know that you're going to be living on the second floor, and so... You can't wash your little patio off with water because that will drip on your neighbors below. Yeah, we probably would have thought of that. Probably would have. But thanks for telling us. Then she says this. Now, do you understand that you cannot remove any of the walls within the apartment? And I said, what? She says, this means you cannot take two little rooms and make it one big room. That's not your apartment, that's our apartment. And I'm going, what does this girl have to face every day? And she's apologizing herself, says, you wouldn't believe what we've got in here. There are people, there are people who hand you some money and they think, okay, I'm renting this place, I'll do with it what I want. But you know what? That's the way the world thinks of the world. You know, I'm paying my dues here. It's mine. I can do with it what I want. That's not the way a Christian thinks. It wouldn't occur to me to do anything with that place because I don't own that place. That's, that's not my place. But you know what? I felt like that when I lived in a house. 
when I had a deed on the house. That wasn't my house, that was God's house. See, so it's not a transition for me. It's, it's, it's a part of how a Christian sees the world. We don't own this. This is God's. We don't own this. This is God's. We don't own, uh, you know, we can put, uh, get in our car. It's God's. See? So it's not a big transition. So we think of the world differently and we don't understand it. We don't realize it until we get out in the world. We hear some weird conversations and then all of a sudden we think, you know what? My mind is being transformed here. My mind is being renewed. I am becoming a different person. Why? Because you focused on Christ. And because that transformed you literally into the person that you were born to be when you were born again. And the, and the, and the essence here is focusing on Christ. And it takes place from that worship. Look at that second verse, what it says. It says, Beloved, now we are children of God. And it has not appeared as yet what we shall be. Now, he's talking about heaven, but we're talking about this growth process that takes place before you get to heaven. It has not yet appeared what we shall be. We know that when he appears. Now, watch this. Every time you worship Christ, every time you think of him, he appears. He, he, he is in your mind in some way. So, this is not just the fulfilled, complete time in heaven. This is every time you think of him down here, every time you worship him down here. He appears in some form. Now watch this. We know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him just as he is. You see what's happening in worship? It's not just telling God good stuff. Oh, yeah, it's that. But when you tell God good stuff, when you pray to God, there's a transformation that takes place in your life. You become like Christ. You actually have his nature in a fuller way. In a way that that is actually him. And what would happen in this world if there were enough people who through their worship of Christ, through that transformation... Through giving their lives, I urge you, therefore, brethren, to sacrifice, give your life as living sacrifices, which is your spiritual service of worship. Who, when you looked at God and were transformed into Christ, what would happen in the world? What will happen in the world when there are thousands of us who have the mind of Christ, who don't have to guard the traditional things, who don't have to act in the traditional ways? I've, I'm, I'm reading a book right now called Blood and Belonging. It's, it's, it's by a secular author, uh, Michael uh, Ignatius, I think is his name. He's a brilliant uh, scholar. He was uh, educated at the University of Toronto and Harvard. Uh, he taught in King's College, Cambridge, England. Um, just a brilliant man. It's, and it's a book on international relations. I majored in government, and I'm very interested in um, foreign affairs and, and, the, and the relationships um, uh, between nations, and now am very interested in just what is happening, and this is what this book is about, in some of these tribal conflicts, uh, these intranational uh, conflicts, the Serbs and the Croatians, uh, the Northern Ireland, um, um, Kurdish, uh, the Kurds in, in uh, Iran and Iraq, that, that nation there. And that's what this book is about. It picks out six of those and then analyzes 
the, 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 the conflict and why there is conflict. Now, this is his theory. He had hoped, because he sees himself as a, uh, an expatriate, a cosmopolitan mentality, uh, a world thinker, he had hoped that because there was no conflict between superpowers anymore, that we were coming to an age of post-national thought. That is to say, we could all get along because um, there was not the conflict of the big nations. And the big nations were simply letting the littler nations do whatever they want. And he said, that's the problem. He says, I have given up all my hope to think that there will ever be a time when we do not have a national mentality because. Because people want to be free to get what they need but they need the security to know whatever they can get won't be taken away from them. And so, therefore, they're going to need a protector and they're going to need conflict to ensure that they have what they want and it's not threatened. He says, for people who see life as the collection of what's important to them, there will always be nations and always be war. Now... Think of this. When this describes the kingdom of God in here, there are no boundaries to the kingdom of God. When it describes a people, it describes a people who don't own anything and therefore who don't have to guard anything. It describes a people who aren't hungry to war because we have all of our needs met in Christ Jesus. What would, what would it be like if the world were populated with a people who trusted that God was sovereign and was satisfied, contented, in the words of St. Paul, with whatever their lot, and therefore did not need to guard against others. There will always be boundaries of energy that you have, but you set those according to wisdom, not according to need. You set them so that you can be more effective, not more protective. What would happen? That's what the Bible is talking about. When we worship God... When we see Jesus, when, when our eyes, in the, in, the, in the words of Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, or verse 1, when our eyes are fixed on Jesus, the author and pioneer of our faith, that's what we're being turned into. It's not just coming to church and worshiping because that's our weekly obligation. It's coming to church and being transformed because that's God's process. And you don't have to come to church. This is, see, this is the rehearsal of heaven here. In, 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 the, in, the, in the Bible, it says that when we worship, we will worship as a group. There is no singular worship in here. We'll all feel, feel it intensely personal, but we'll all be together. So this is kind of rehearsal. But it doesn't mean that you have to get to church in order to worship. Every time you focus on Christ, every time you want to become like Him, every time He is the object of your affections, you are being transformed and enriched. And it says that in one Bible verse, and I'm going to say this and, get, and tell you a story, and then we're going to worship. It says that um, in one of my favorite Bible verses. I love this Bible verse. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. 2 Corinthians 3, 18. If you have your Bible and a pen, underline it and say, this is one of Hunter's favorites. And, and he'll probably refer to it often. This is great. And it says in a verse... Well, I've just taken 80 minutes to tell you. Why don't you just read us the verse? But we all, see that collective, see that corporateness. I love to worship with you. 
It's not like worshiping in my office. I worship in my office all the time. But I love being with you. Because it says we all. It's, this is, this is, we're going to live together forever. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image. From glory to glory. In other words, from one degree of glory to another. It happens incrementally as we concentrate on Christ. This is the result of worship. We are being transformed into His image from one degree of glory to another. Just as from the Lord, the Spirit. That's who's doing it. God's doing it. Let me tell you a story. I heard a long time ago. I like it, and it it speaks to the point. It's about an old man who um, was very, very wealthy. And he died not leaving any heirs. He didn't have any family. When he was a younger man, uh, he and his wife had had a son. uh, But she had died, and, and later on, but very young, the son had also died. And it broke that old man's heart. He, he loved that boy. He poured his life into that boy. But tragically, the boy had died. Now, years and years and years later, he also had died, apparently leaving no will. And so there was a public auction at his house, and they were, were going to take the money and give it to the state. Um, there were hundreds of people at this auction. And uh, among them was this one little old tattered lady didn't look like she had any money at all, but she could not take her eyes off of one object in that auction, and that was a portrait. It wasn't even a very good portrait, but it was a portrait of this man's son. It was the only one around. And she just continued to look at that. Well, nobody was interested in that thing. And they started the, they started the bidding off, and the bidding was you know, furious over the silver and the artworks and so on and so forth. But she kept her eye on this, and about four objects... Uh, items into the auction, uh, the auctioneer held up this portrait of this man's son. And he said, what am I bid on this? And nobody bid on it. Except that old lady who bid a handsome price. Started off high. Well, that was the only bid. It was hers. She came up to receive it. And the auctioneer couldn't help but ask, why did you want this? And why did you pay so much for it. She said, when this boy was little, I was his nurse. I fell in love with him. I thought about him every day. And just to have this, to to look at, to remind me of him, I would have given anything for it. Well, she starts to take the picture and notices there's a little pouch on the back of that picture. They take a little Razor, and they slit open that pouch, and they reach in. There's a piece of paper in there. They pull out the paper, and the paper opens up to be the old man's will. And it says this, Whoever loves my son enough to buy this painting, to that person I give everything I own, because that's how much I loved him. You get the picture? This is not about garnering worldly goods. This is about the nature of Christ. When you love Christ, you then have all of the nature of God pouring into you.
pray with me? God, as we are about just to, for the next uh, minutes to worship you and to tell you how much we love you, we would pray that you would, by your Spirit, get us ready for this time. Help us uh, to confess sin uh, that might interfere with our worship. Help us to... Um, Uh, get our spirits in a condition where we can appreciate you most. Now, Lord Jesus, come to us that we might bless you, that we might see you, that we might become what we behold. Be with us now as we ready our hearts. Let all mortal flesh keep silence And with fear and trembling still nothing Good morning.